The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. Kathy Bates is an actress and director. She is a recipient of numerous accolades, including an Academy Award, three American Comedy Awards, two Emmy Awards, two Golden Globes, an Obie, and two Screen Actor Guild Award. You'll recognize her from Misery, Harry's Law, Two and a Half Men, American Horror Story, Titanic, and the film adaptation of Annie. Please welcome my friend, Kathy Bates. so excited so we just started leap two hours ago you're the first speaker no pressure no pressure um she called me yesterday she said dr bill is it okay if i wear a baseball cap because i'm filming right now and i don't know what they're going to do my hair <laughs> so i was expecting to see her with the cap but uh she said the hair looked okay so we're good you guys how exciting is this we got kathy bates <laughs> Woo! All right, number one question. What inspired you to become an actress? I don't know. Um, my mother said that when I was born, the doctor smacked me on my behind, and I thought it was applause, and I've been looking for it ever since. <laughs> That's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> so I guess I always knew what I wanted to be, but I didn't know that I could do it professionally. You know, it's crazy, too, because... In your profession, it is probably one of the most competitive professions in the world. And for every actor that I've ever interviewed, I've, I've asked this question, and you always have a great answer. What was your big break? I mean, there had to be like one big moment that you said, wow, that was the big break. Well, there were, um, it's one that you wouldn't expect. It, it's actually one that you wouldn't expect. I, I loved doing um, plays in theater. We had a wonderful speech teacher, Gene Crane, and um, he, 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 he wanted to be a great actor. He, so he'd always go to New York. He'd see plays. So he really knew what was going on, and he directed wonderful musicals and plays at our high school, and I started working there with him, and I fell in love with it. I felt like it was home. And then it came time to go to college. And we didn't have a lot of money, my parents. And uh, I was also born very late in life to, to my parents. My dad was born in 1900, if you can believe that. My mom was born in 1907. And so I came along very, very late in life to them. And as, so we were always told, I grew up in the South, and we were always told, you know, you, we'll give you two years of college and you can decide whether you want to keep going. So it was kind of like, it was not on the same par as my friends who were, who were going to go to Yale or MIT or Princeton or all of these places that sounded really you know, amazing to me. And just by 
I went to a, a, a guy who was talking about Southern Methodist University, and I went, uh, you know, one afternoon after school, and he was speaking in the school library, and I just was clueless. I have to tell you, I, I, th I think I, I've gotten lost in the right direction many, many times. Somebody else was driving, not me. And um, so I thought, oh, that sounds good. And I went home and my father almost had a heart attack because for us it was a lot of money. It was in Dallas. And, um, but he agreed to send me. And then I thought, well, I don't know what I want to do. Maybe I should just be maybe an English teacher because I loved words. I loved reading from when I was very young. So I went as an English major, and the very first week we had what's called orientation, where you go and, and you listen to the person I'd gone. It would have been the School of the Humanities, which is where I had enrolled. And the head of the school, the dean of that school, was giving us all information about what it was going to be like. But he was also talking about, this is where you're going to begin your life's work, the thing that you're most passionate about. And suddenly in my brain clicked, well, wait a minute, nobody told me that. And the playing field just changed because I thought what I really, really love, if I'm honest with myself, is, is, is being on stage. That's where I feel at home. That's what is my passion. So I, I started raising my hand and asking him questions and saying, well, can I be an actress? And, can, but, and finally, the poor guy was so exasperated with me. He said, here's your folder. You're in the wrong school. Go down the hall, last door on the left is the art school, that's where you belong. And so I took my folder and I went down there and I opened the door and in those days it was the late 60s, so I opened the door and there were all these people with beards and, you know, weird dresses on and because I came from a very conservative background, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. And um, so then I, I did get to know them, and I saw a play that just knocked my socks off. It was like one of those moments, almost like they talk about when the gurus, you know, just hits your, your sternum, and you go, I'll just do anything I have to do to be part of that. This is where I'm, I'm meant to be. So that was, I think, my big break. Because if he had not given me that opportunity and told me where to go. To go down the hall. Go down the hall, last door on the left, always on the left. Um, I wouldn't be here sitting here talking to you. Wow, yeah. You never know. And you know, that's what I was telling you guys about. There will be life-defining moments. And sometimes years later, you realize that they happen. Sometimes you plan them. Most of the time, we don't. Um, I just spent a lot of time talking to these students about mentors in life. Who would you say was your greatest mentor? Well, the first, as I mentioned, was Gene. Um, he took a, an interest in me, and, and we talked a lot. He, he gave me a lot of confidence in myself. And as an actor, I was not really good at, at um, I was terrible at auditions. I was terrible at memorizing lines. Um, and then at SMU, that was another thing. Uh, when I was at school and I got into the right school, uh, there were amazing teachers there. Uh, our mentor, Dr. Hobgood, who sat us down the very first year. We weren't allowed to go to um, be on stage yet. We weren't allowed to do any of that until we had gotten enough experience in our classes. And I remember him saying to us, um, it's going to take you 15 years to do this. He said, just if you were going to become a doctor or a lawyer, you have to learn your craft, you have to learn, you know, your, um, your business, and then you have to go out into the world, and you have to 
raise clients, which I'm sure you went through, and you have to become known in your profession. And he said, it's going to take you a long time to do this. And for me, the, the, the visceral response I had to that was, oh, okay, I have time. And he was such, what I got from school there was the passion for the craft itself and for the joy of performing. And of course at school it wasn't about awards, it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about uh, the success that we measure. And I was talking to someone the other day, it's the same thing. As artists we are all, and I guess you could say for all of us even here, we all start from the same starting line. And yes, some may have more advantages than another, but we're starting from that place, I believe, within each of us that we want to become better at what we do. We want to find what our magic is. We want to achieve that with the projects that we choose. And we may not always achieve it, and, and we may make mistakes or we may fail. And that's the moment that's really almost the best moment is the failing, even though it doesn't feel good, is that's when you learn the most about yourself, about your character, about your ability to pick yourself up and move forward, because it's going to happen to you again and again and again. And somebody the other day said, you know, uh, something about being the best or, or, or winning this award. And, and I said, but it's not about that that's it's and i don't mean this in a in a what a what's the word a diva kind of way but i have an older friend that's in the business too i mean i'm i'm in my 70s <laughs> we're talking on the phone the other day because everybody wants to kind of downsize when you get to be my age you know she's what are you going to do with all your awards i said i don't know man I don't know, but I can't keep hanging on to these things and tracking them around, you know, because it's they're they're in the material world, they're metal, they're they're it's wonderful to have that accolade, but every time you create a new role, you start from the very beginning. You didn't get an Academy Award for the one you're starting now. Do you understand what I mean? You're you're starting all over again every time. It's beginner's mind. And what's wonderful about that is it, it can be very freeing. Um, you can take the pressure off yourself. You're not doing it to win an award. The award that you want to win is, the, is, the, is to keep the passion alive within yourself as you continue. That's the hardest thing to do. When we did Fried Green Tomatoes, and I had the honor of working with Jessica Tandy, she was one of the finest actresses I've ever, ever worked with in my life. And she was in her 80s. She was 84 at the time. We were shooting at an old person's home in Georgia. And she came in, 84 years old, um, in jeans and a jean jacket. And it was like she had just gotten out of high school. It was like she was 16 years old. She bore no resemblance to any of the people that were in this home that we were in. And I was fairly young. I was in my 40s at that time. Oh, God, that sounds young to me now. Uh, I was in my 40s, and I, I looked at her, and I thought, whoa, I think my, I think my flame has gotten a little dim here especially in relation to her. And so I realized that then one of my long-term goals was to always check myself and to stay in love with what I had chosen to do. And 
I'm happy to say that yeah, I'm working on two films right now, and there's this little film that took them two years to make. Um, it, it, you know, sometimes you can read a script and it's just this perfect script, and you go and it's perfectly cast and perfectly directed, and it just tanks, and you don't know why. And this little script, you know, I had some problems with it, but I was so drawn to the character. And what it's turned out to be is this amazing, magical gift. Because we all stuck it out, and it's like this script was just about to boom and blossom, and that's what it's done. And it's affected all of us. You know, it's an indie, it's a small picture, it's a small crew, but it's given us all such renewed confidence in what we do that, that that it is worth something. So I'll let you continue yeah, to ask your you know, question. And I think that a lot of people that aren't in the business or around actors don't really realize that one of the most challenging things about your career is that every time you finish a project, you're unemployed. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like even Anthony Hopkins, I was talking to him, he's like, yeah, I'm unemployed now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you never know you're gonna have another job, you know? Each project is a whole new start, is a whole new beginning, is a whole new everything. And, and you're right, every time you do it, you need to hope that it's the best that you could do and that it brings you to a new place. And you know, with that, we have challenges. And what I wanted to ask you is, what do you think was probably like the biggest challenge you had to overcome to succeed in your profession? Well, that you just mentioned one of them is the fact that you don't know where the next job is coming from. And um, I think it was always to hold on to my faith um, I haven't had, um, I haven't had a, um, I've had my adversities in life, um, on the personal side and I've, I've been, um, I've twice survived cancer in the last 20 years. And so, thank you. Thank you. I'll pass your applause on to my doctors and the researchers who've made that possible. But, um, so I think, it, it, for me, the hardest thing has been to keep my boat <laughs> uh, afloat, you know, in this crazy ocean, and to keep going forward, and to have faith, and to trust, uh, and um, th that everything will work out. I, I don't know how to put it with that, but for me, life become, has become a kind of poem. I don't know how to explain that, except that the chance encounters, the things that you see um, in a day make a kind of poetry that's personal to you in your life that, and I want to just shake my finger at you all for one minute. Um, technology's fantastic, but you can only do one thing at a time, really and truly. and. If you are so engrossed in your phone or in your laptop, you will miss the opportunity to communicate with other people and to learn how to read other people's minds and voices and the way they, you know, they uh, present themselves to you so that you can make choices about who you might want to be with and who's good for you in your life. And um, you 
it, it would be like saying to you, all right, just for the, these many hours a day, I've decided I'm going to be blind. Nothing against people who are blind and have to deal with that, that every day. But if you have a choice, you say, I'm just going to close my eyes to everything else around me except what I can see or hear here. You are really missing the boat. You're missing the whole idea. And more and more young people are finding it, and I find this even with the young people that I know, are finding it difficult to really understand and, and focus on what's going on. The other thing I wanted to tell, and I know you have other questions, but I wanted to say this too, is that, uh, oh damn it, which is out of my head. Um, humanity. humanity, yes, that, yes, thank you. Who you are as a human being is going to inform everything you do, everything. Who, who you are, your self-esteem, how you've been raised, what you bring to the game. I don't care what it is, how much money you've had, what kind of background you have, you bring something to the game. And you can choose, you really can choose to bring joy, to be the kind of person that other people want to bring, be around, to be inventive with your own past, with your own background. And that's what I want to communicate with you, is that you, your work it can only be as good as you are a human being. And, and you can only, and by good I mean generous. By good I mean um, open, uh, sharing yourself with other people. Um, and by good, I mean observing other people. Here's the other thing. It takes a while for people to reveal themselves to you. You can be thinking that this is a fast, fast world, and it is. It's very, very fast. But if, you, if somebody says to you, you need to read this chapter for class, scripts, I read 10, 12 times over over and over and over and over again. Because each time I read, another thing reveals itself to me. And I guess what I'm talking about is revelation. It's, you, you, you want to observe, you want to sit back for a minute and not have a knee-jerk reaction about what may be happening, but really let things reveal themselves to you. Observe. That's the other thing I learned when I first started out in SMU. We were keeping diaries, but what we observe in other people, what we observe around us. And that's what I mean about creating a poem every day, or the poem that just happens around you. And in order to catch that poem, you have to be observant. And you have to watch and see what the universe is presenting itself to you. And I think this all sounds woo-woo, guru-guru, but it's really not. Yeah, but no, you know what? This is so funny, especially as it relates to me and you. Uh, because you all don't know this, but the reason that she's here with us now is because of you. Kathy had been coming to me as a patient for years. And, you know, we, I walk in, we talk, we do the cleaning, we do this, we do... And one day, we just both kind of stopped to smell the roses, and we just had this moment. And we, like, really connected. And, and in that connection, I explained to her, you, and, and, and what we do here. And I didn't ask her. She said, I'll come and speak to your students. Let's give it to her for that. She said, I'll come. I would love to come and speak to your students. 
And the funny thing is, we literally had known each other for years. years. For years. I mean, she always trusted me as a dentist, and, you know, and I always respected her, and we had a, a really good relationship like that. But she didn't know what I do with you guys, as I didn't know what she does with her lymphedema foundation. And we, we sat one day, and we just, we just so connected. And she said to me, Dr. Bill, if I'm in town and I'm available, and she's flying out tomorrow morning. I mean, we, we were going to actually do this late, but we you know, did this around her schedule. She said, if I'm available, I would love and, to come and, and speak to your students. And, and I'm so happy yeah. you're here. Thank you. But that's what I mean. It's like if you, you know, you can go along and, and not really see who it is that you're talking to, or you can take the time. Just, it just takes a few more minutes to, to observe and see what's going on. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And my late acting teacher, who I loved, and I'm working also down in Atlanta with uh, Clint Eastwood, um, I'm so, so, so amazing working with him. He's like the horse whisperer when it comes to actors. And I'm working with a wonderful actor named Sam Rockwell, you guys may know. And um, it's, now I forgot what I was going to say again. Uh, um, yes, okay, so when you meet someone like Sam, that's it. When you meet someone like Sam, who you've admired and you admire their work so much, and then you get to see who they are as a person, it just opens up a whole nother door in your feelings about that person. And, and, and it, it gives you hope, it inspires you to keep going that, that your heart is on the right path. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is we're all kind of, uh, sometimes it feels like we're swimming in the dark, you know, and, and we need to we need to pay attention to the people that, that the universe puts in our path because you never know what it's going to lead to. It's, it's so true. Um, I know that you're doing a lot of work now with the Lymphedema Foundation, and I, most of these students have no idea what that is. Maybe you can just enlighten them a little bit and share that with them. Sure. Um, I had a double mastectomy um, back in 2012, and... Um, uh, I developed something called lymphedema in my arms because they had to remove lymph nodes from each armpit. The lymphatic system is where lymph, uh, cancer cells metastasize. And the lymphatic system does many more wonderful things that we have yet to know because I was uh, horrified to learn that doctors spend in all of their medical training half an hour on the lymphatic system, period. And one of the exciting things is that they're now starting to pay attention to that and they're gonna find out all kinds of things. I was very angry because my arms swell. My arms are often painful. Uh, I've been working up in the high desert and they've swelled up a little bit today and hurt. And um, I knew that I was gonna have to live with this um, for the rest of my life. If you don't treat it, then the, lymphat the lymphatic fluid builds up in the affected limb. You can get it in your legs. Um, it's congenital as well. Uh, but the really stunning fact was that 10 million Americans suffer with lymphedema, and that's more than muscular dystrophy, MS, ALS, Parkinson's, and AIDS combined. But nobody knows about it because doctors aren't educated about it. So millions of people are out there suffering with a progressive, incurable disease without the proper care. 
And I was already angry that I had it. So when I got the figures from Bill Rapisi, who's the head of the Lymphatic Education Research Network, I decided I'm really angry now and I want to do something about it. And I've never done anything like that before. So for the last five years, I've been involved. And that means traveling around and speaking to in the NIH. Uh, we have two silos there, the NIDDK, which is the digestive and kidney and heart, lung, blood. And they're starting to get on board. We, um, our group learned the Lymphatic Education and Research Network were part of a study that was done at the University of Virginia recently. Um, that studied the lymphatic system that goes up into the brain. And by studying the lymphatic system in the brain, they're now starting to uncover the secrets of what causes MS and Alzheimer's. So it's not just helping people like myself be able to manage their lives uh, and, and, and not have to uh, suffer with something that progresses into, um, uh, I've met people with it whose limbs are so swollen, it's just horrible for them. Uh, many men from prostate cancer will get it in their legs, and they're ashamed to talk about it because of the fact that it relates to prostate. And um, we have a child who has it in his tongue. We have um, a child who has it in both legs who's become an amazing advocate. And what we've done and what I've tried to instill in all of our groups that we've met with, we've met at Harvard. Uh, we're trying to create centers of excellence at Harvard and MD Anderson. We've got um, a, 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 a group in Egypt that has applied to learn. Uh, it's very exciting. It's an exciting time to be there uh, because it, it, our goal is to create a 1-800 number uh, so that people who are in trouble can call and, and ask for help. It's a very disfiguring disease, and because it's disfiguring, it's very embarrassing. It affects a person's ability to be out in the world. Their family's ashamed of them. They're ashamed of themselves. Um, it, it's, I wish I could show you photos, but it would, it would really make you sad, and you need to be in a good mood for all of this, and, and, and so you should. But it, the thing that I guess I want to leave with you about that is that it's getting lost in the right direction again, isn't it? Uh, and for a long time, I was so angry about it. And um, I pleaded with my doctors, please don't, you know, I, I knew what lymphedema was, I said, I want to get it, I don't want to get it. And, and so I was really angry at them. And because now I can look back and say, you know, I'm really glad I got this because I can do something now in the real world. And I'm learning, I'm, I'm, I'm communicating with the surgeon in Taiwan, Dr. Ming-Wei Cheng, who's doing this experimental surgery to reconnect the lymph vessels. And it's so exciting at my age to be able to continue to learn in a completely new field um, and, and, and to go and talk to doctors, as I did in Dallas recently, who are the American breast cancer surgeons. Um, and, and speak to them and say, look, dudes, I know you're doing a great job saving lives, but you've got to start thinking now. You're so good at your jobs. You've got to start thinking about afterlife. I mean, after, you know, after surgery, cancer care, because you, I don't want you to take this as a slap in the face, guys, but what you are doing is actually causing trauma that needs to be addressed, and we need to get everybody on board with that. It's like pulling teeth. It's, it's like climbing Mount Everest, but... We're still hanging in there, so hopefully we'll reach our goal one day. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's give it up for Kathy. Thank you. Um,
We have time to do a few questions. What I'd like you to do is go ahead and take out your I appreciate notes. And if you have a question that you'd like to ask Kathy, write it on the note. And then James, can you have some of the coaches pick them up and then we'll just, uh, we'll have her read a few of them and, and can answer I, Can I have Charlie bring my purse because I need a Kleenex? Charlie, can you please bring her purse? Thanks. Thank you. You know, I, 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 give, I give you so much credit for what you're doing with that. Um, before you came here, I was talking to the students about, you know, really, there are a lot of people, and especially in their generation, that want to just be famous to be famous. You know, they have absolutely no desire to do anything positive in this world. It's all a me, 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 me thing. And for somebody who has, you know, become famous, um, to go ahead and use that as a platform to help the world, for me is really the only good reason for fame. And, and I, it, it makes me proud to know you and be friends with you and to see that you're doing that because I think it's so important to use that as a platform to help. Um, does anybody have any other questions ready? Pass them in and we'll just do one. You got one, Forbes? Come on up. You guys are going to meet Forbes. She's one of our speakers. This is Forbes <laughs> Riley. Hi. Um, Hi. Here you go. Thank you. I'm quite honored to watch you today, especially knowing what you went through. And I'm glad I'm going to read my, my, say my question, not read it, because I think it applies, because I look around and I see people of different sizes, colors, shapes, and very unusual looking people everywhere. And in Hollywood, where I spent a fair amount of my time in my early days, there's a Hollywood pretty. You embodied something else. How did you do it? How did you keep going? And you cracked the nut in such a spectacular way that number one, you give hope to everybody who is not that big breasted blonde, that's what I was told you needed to be. Can you tell us how you did it? And yeah. uh, Well, for me, first, last, and always, the work was important. That's all I cared about was doing good work. And I felt that the work would speak for itself. And if it doesn't, then there you go. Um, I know even my father said uh, when I was at school, he told my acting coach he'd come down to see whether or not I should go to New York. And he said, you know, she's not conventionally attractive. Should she go? So I'm well aware of that. But then when I look back and I think, well, if I didn't look like I do look, then I wouldn't have gotten to play Annie Wilkes in Misery. So um, I think as, but still it's like, it's the work, it's the, it's the joy of playing the roles. That's what I want to focus on and, and what I've always focused on. And, and if, you, if, you, if you don't do the work, I, and here's Sam Rockwell. I've talked about him before. I know I'm getting a feel from what you were saying, but he works so hard. He works on the weekends. He works, he, he, he rehearses with his scene partner. He takes classes. You know, and here's a guy that's done amazing work and he keeps on challenging himself and he knows that each moment is a risk. Uh, that when he steps out there, you know, if you don't hold your cigarette right, you're gonna be shot at dawn. You know, that was sort of, sort of my philosophy. You gotta really embody the character and that's what gave me joy. So, um, Overweight, ugly, I grew up with a broken nose and frizzy hair and I had no confidence. How did you create that for those of us who maybe not be actors, but don't feel like we fit in? You just, you figured something out in life. Well, you, 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 
you're the best that you can be within the skin and in your body and and use your brain i mean it's it's um all that other stuff all of the focus on that that's what i think is wrong agree agree it's it, not it's like it's I not it's not it's not us that don't fit in it's that that there is a model out there, not to use a pun, but there is a, a, a model of the ideal physicality, and that has nothing to do with anything except looking like something. You can look like something all you want. There are wonderful actresses out there who look like something, but they're not wonderful actresses. I just said they were, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> we know. <laughs> So, but thank you for the question. I, I just think that that's, uh, you know, it, it's, don't pay any attention to that stuff. Thank you. Okay, so in a profession that's known to be brutal, how do you deal with the rejection? Because you don't get every part you go out for. It's a, it's a hard thing. And, and the hardest thing is, a lot of times you're in front of a group of people who are not as educated as you that don't have the experience you have, and they're the ones that decide whether you do this project or don't. So how do you deal with it when you don't get that role? You gotta let it go. You just gotta let it go. You gotta, um, as they say, you have to grease your wings like the ducks do to let the water roll off. You've gotta let it go. You weren't right for that person, and they. why would you wanna work with somebody that didn't want you? Uh, something better is gonna come along, and um, yeah, I, you, it still means you've got to wait tables, which I did in New York. You've got to work as an office temp, which I did in New York. And you have to, I mean, Sam did the same thing. We had the same acting coach, but we both waited tables. We couldn't afford to go to the neighborhood playhouse. It doesn't matter. If you want to do something, you've got to make yourself do it. And if somebody says no, you just, uh, you know, you can tell inside whether or not. Don't let people, don't let people stop you. Uh, it just means that, that you weren't particularly right in their mind for this particular project, and it's, you're probably better off. It's a chemistry thing. You don't always fit with everybody. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody likes me. You know, maybe 50% of the world won't like you, but it's just the way it is. Not everybody's going to like everybody. But you just, you have to go on and not, and not, you know what? Let me say this in a simpler way. Don't let the rejection define you. Totally. To yourself. Totally. That's it. That's it. And I'll tell you something else. And, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but I really feel that, you know, one of the things your generation, my generation, and some other generations embraced was you got to do what you got to do. And a lot of younger people today, not you, because you're here, they, they, they don't do that. They, they, they kind of, you know, like I grew up cleaning toilets. I grew up being a janitor. I grew up pulling weeds. I, I mean, I did what I needed to do to, to, to make money, to be successful. And I think a lot of young people today kind of like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. They, they, they literally expect to just walk in yeah. and be the president of a company. Like, right. that doesn't work that way. You know, they walk in. And I know this young lady who, who started a job, went in, worked the whole day, called me that night and I said, Dr. Bill, I know you taught me a leap. He goes, you know, I really think I deserve a raise. I'm like, you've been there one day. One day. I'm like, call me back in a month, right? <laughs> but you guys, it takes hard work. 
every single day, every single day. Yeah, and I think that's important. I have a good friend in New York. I've known him for almost 40 years, and he runs a, uh, he runs a, a department at Scholastic in New York that's a wonderful publishing company. And one of the things he talks about when he hires people to come and work with him is the sense of entitlement that so many people have when they come, and they expect so much for themselves without coming with um, humility and a willingness to work, uh, a, um, an enthusiasm, and that's what gets you so far with people, your enthusiasm, your kindness, your willingness to join in, your willingness to help, and you're focusing on the group at hand, your focus, like you, you, you want to go because you want to do the best for Scholastic. You want to help that business. It's not just saying, oh, I want to go get a job. It's saying, I want to work with this company because I believe what this company is doing and how can I help them? If you put it on the other person and it's not always on you, well, what am I getting or what am I not getting? It's about what can you do, like for an actor, how am I in service? Our first AD said this to me the other day. He said, you know what, I don't work with, for you. I don't work for Warner Brothers and I don't work for Franca, the director. I work for the project. I work for this that we are making here, this film. That's who I work for, is to, is to create the movie that we're all visualizing. And doing all of that together, takes everybody. Do we have time for me to tell one true story? You know I know what? somebody wants yes. to ask a question. Yes, you do. <laughs> okay. We love true stories. All right, I have to leave out the profanity, but this is a true story from years and years and years ago. There I was, appreciate that. Okay, good. <laughs> so uh, there was a very famous European conductor who came out to Los Angeles years and years ago, and he acted really terribly with everybody in the orchestra. He, he was condescending and, and patronizing, and he, he was rude to people. He singled people out when they weren't doing well. And by the end of the two weeks they were working with him, everybody detested this man, even though he's supposed to be some hotshot from Europe. So then there was a dress rehearsal, an invited dress for the patrons, all of the people that supported the orchestra. And the orchestra was in place, and the guy came down, and he tapped on the lectern and gave the downbeat and nothing happened. And the patrons were just, they couldn't believe it had happened. And he was furious and he drew himself up. He couldn't believe that the orchestra hadn't begun and he tapped the lectern again and he gave the downbeat and nothing happened. And finally the first chair violinist stood up and said, that's just to show you that no music comes out of that baton of yours. Good job, huh? Good job. So we need everybody. You know, when you go into a group, you need everybody there. Your enthusiasm, your joy, even in moments of difficulty, will always stand you in good stead. I haven't always accomplished that. I'll be the first one to admit it. But especially when you get, you know, angry at a director or you say something is not fair or you don't like this and you go off and you're in a foul mood, it affects everybody, and it doesn't help you. It just reflects poorly on you, and that's the last thing I wanted to say about that. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you a really good life lesson. Don't judge people at their best. Judge them at their worst, because that's when their true colors come out, and when you go through life and you're looking for a life partner and whatnot, you need to see people in all different lights, because when you see people 
and how they operate when the chips are down and when things are tough, that's where you really see what they're made of. Mm -hmm. Get it? Good. Okay, last question. Um, this is a beautiful uh, from Maddie. It says, you are so inspiring in everything you do. I love your movies. I love everything you've done. But I want to know, what was your favorite film? Oh, I think my favorite film um, was Dolores Claiborne only because it was a chance for me to really transform into a character with accent and wig and um, movement. I played a woman at two different points in her life. Um, it was about a subject that I really care about, um, which had to do with um, abuse. And um, I, it was a real turning point in my life. I wish that more people had seen it. And, and, but in terms of a film role, that's the one that I'm most proud of. You guys, let's give it up for Kathy Bates. Thank you. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Leap Foundation, on Instagram at Leap Foundation, and on Twitter at Leap Los Angeles. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.